Welcome to the Investment Turnaround. In this podcast series, Dr. Mariana Bosazan interviews world-renowned investors, scientists, and other personalities who share their solutions toward the sustainable transformation of our financial systems. Our guest today is Frank Dixon. Frank is a researcher and advisor on sustainability and systemic change to businesses, investors, and governments. He established Global System Change in 2005, when he recognized that systemic change would become the dominant sustainability issue of the 21st century. His experience as the managing director of research for the largest ESG research company Innovest and sustainability advisor to Walmart showed that flawed economic and political systems force all companies to degrade the environment and society. Frank Dixon is an associate fellow of the World Academy of Art and Science. He has an MBA from Harvard Business School. Thank you for being here and welcome to our podcast, Frank. Thank you, Mariana. It's a pleasure to be here speaking with you. So my favorite question and the first question that I always asked our, uh, our participants here is what happened in your life that put you on this, uh, this path? What, how did you open up your heart so much that you are moving way beyond your personal needs and those of your family and, and tribe to serve the world? Well, in the first part of my life, uh, I was, you know, working hard to be successful in a conventional way that led me to the Harvard Business School. But after I graduated from there, I, even though a lot of good things were happening in my life, I felt a certain emptiness that compelled me to go on a spiritual and psychological journey and do a lot of research. I was very impressed by the work of Joseph Campbell uh, and his work on comparative religion. And the thesis of his life's work was to follow your bliss or find out what your passion is in life and, and build your life around it. So after studying that for a while, I realized that my passion was to help work with others to ad address the major uh, environmental and social problems facing humanity. And then as I looked around in that field, I found a fantastic job, as, as you mentioned, as the head of research for the largest uh, ESG research company in the world. Um, I managed 50 uh, analysts who rated the world's 2,000 largest companies on sustainability and saw many examples of how companies were making more money by acting more responsibly. But it became clear after a while that that was only true up to a point. Our economic and political systems create a situation where companies must degrade the environment and society to survive. If they stop that, stop trying to do that, they'll go out of business. So it seemed to me that we had, it was more of a system problem than a company problem. Most of the movement, the responsible investing movement, the corporate sustainability movement, were focused on trying to get companies to voluntarily stop harming the environment and society. But it became clear that that was impossible to do in current systems. Systems force them to degrade. And if we don't switch the focus, at least partly, to changing those systems, we're not going to achieve sustainability or the sustainable development goals. And that's what led me into developing models for engaging the corporate and financial sectors in system change. I studied system change for many years, and now I'm back out there uh, promoting a new approach to investing called system change investing. Perfect. So let, let's go back a little bit to the hero's journey, which is, of course, uh, <laughs> the model that was propagated and developed by Joseph Campbell, and which we yes. can find in many, many movies. 
So yeah. what was actually for you the tipping point? What was it? What was the point where you saw that something really significant had to change in your personal life? What well, was your hero's journey? I think, you know, uh, they, it's often said that pain is the great teacher. And in spite of all the good things happening in my life, I just really was not feeling fulfilled inside. There was something in me saying there's something missing. You know, this I've got, you know, I've done what the world said I should do. I've got a Harvard MBA. You know, I've got good jobs and everything. But um, it just didn't feel like enough. And that and I was. And that compelled me to go on a journey to find the miss, you know, the the kind of whatever was missing in my life to fill the kind of emptiness that I felt inside. And I realized that, you know, much of my life had been focused on doing what society said I should do. You'll make you'll be happy if you make a lot of money and go to a good school. And I did that and I wasn't happy. So Joseph Campbell said, instead of doing what society says, we need to find, look into our hearts and find out what it is unique about us. We each have a kind of a unique passion. And if we build our lives around that, as he said, doors will open and things will move forward quickly. But if you try to do what the world says you should do against what your heart wants, you'll keep running into walls and, and it won't work. So I, that really appealed to me and it kind of sent me on an inner journey. And I was really impressed with his work about comparative religion I had been raised a, a Christian Catholic, and um, and I you know and, and something just didn't seem right to me about it. And afterwards, I realized the idea that one religion is right and all the others are wrong just didn't make any sense to me. In his idea that they're all basically saying the same thing, um, you know, treat other people with kindness, love, and respect, um, protect uh, all creation, including the environment and all life, help the needy. You know, those are the, that's a common um, a formula for uh, a religion or a, a belief system for all of humanity. And I also was impressed by his work around talking about the difference between the in-group and the out-group. You know, back when we were split geographically, religions had one set of rules for the in-group and one set for the out-group. Um, for example, in Deuteronomy, it says, thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. But then in another part of Deuteronomy, it says, thou shalt put all men to the sword and take all women unto thyself as booty. And I, you know, thought that's that doesn't work. There is no out group anymore. We're all part of one in group human society. And we need a new set of rules and, you know, behaviors that treat everybody with kindness, love and respect. So that that really appealed to me. And in doing my whole system work, writing whole system books, that was a foundation of the the work that I was doing. How, do, how can we come together as one uh, people on on earth and live sustainably the way nature already does? That's brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so in, in your own words, and um, I quote, system change will soon become the dominant issue in the corporate responsibility field. And the mm -hmm. 23 trillion sustainable, responsibly investing SRI market, flawed economic and political systems compel all companies to degrade the environment and society. These mm -hmm. systems are the root causes of the major environmental, social and economic problems addressed by the UN SDGs. 
And mm -hmm. uh, system change is the only way to achieve the SDGs and sustainability in general, unquote. So mm -hmm. our audience consists mostly of um, um, high net worth, ultra high, high net worth individual, uh, individuals, business people, company builders, entrepreneurs. So can you, can you describe your global system change investing model to us? Like how can we, those of us who are not, how should I say, we, we are investing our own money, right? Okay. We, we're not bound to any restrictions or regulations because we make decisions ourselves based, because we don't take responsibility for other people's money. So how can we integrate Uh, mm -hmm. this thought into our work. And uh, maybe you could also say later on something to the measurement criteria, the metrics. This is an important aspect. Okay, no problem. Well, very soon there will be options to invest in, in funds that are focused on uh, system change at the sector and overarching system level. But let me just kind of ex explain the system change in investing approach. I was a, an ESG modeling expert at Innovest uh, in New York many years ago. I, and to rate companies on, system, uh, on sustainability, which is what I was doing, you first have to define what leading edge corporate sustainability is, and then the aspects of that become metrics in ESG rating models. Then you rate companies on it, develop funds based on it. Excuse, uh, show, me. Excuse me, one yeah. more thing, um, uh, just to make sure, because, you know, um, we're attracting a lot of uh, audiences and people are confused and because it's a new field for many investors, they are not necessarily familiar with the ESG and all these abbreviations, SDGs, yeah. and maybe you would like to explain what SDGs mean, UN SDGs versus U, uh, UN um, uh, ESG and so on. Thank you very much, and sorry about that. I'm, I'm used to talking to a, a, a financial community, so um, absolutely. Financial, uh, yes, but not impact investors. <laughs> I'm talking okay. about traditional investors. No, no problem. Th thank you for pointing that out. So ESG means environmental social governance. Um, it's the, those are the types of ratings that are used to develop uh, responsible investing funds. And my job was to produce those or oversee the production of those ratings. And then institutional investors, pension funds and others would use that research to develop responsible investing products. And, and our company, uh, excuse me. Uh, so the, the ESGs, the environmental social governance criteria, these are six criteria that were originally defined by the United Nations. And um, they have now been, how should I say, progressed to the new 2015 published UN SDGs, which have now become the new measurement criteria moving forward. Well, the, the SDGs are, are the Sustainable Development Goals are a list of 17 goals and 169 targets related to in addressing environmental, social and economic problems. And many companies are focusing on those now. And many um, corporate sustainability raters are assessing SDG performance and including that in their, in their ratings. So it's definitely a component of ESG, but there are many other aspects to it as well. For example, in addition to looking at how companies address the various environmental, social, and economic problems in the SDGs, They also look for the presence of specific governance and management structures in the company, like do they have an environmental management system? Uh, is, the, is the CEO committed to 
um, leading sustainability performance? Do they integrate sustainability into their core business strategies? Are they trying to positively impact all of their uh, stakeholders? Have they developed a, a higher purpose than just maximizing shareholder returns? Um, and so, 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 excuse me, um, just to make, uh, make it very clear, what exactly is the difference between the UN ESG and the UN SDGs? Are the ESGs a superset of the sustainable development goals or a subset or a progression thereof? How do you position those? Well, ESG is a broad term that applies not only to UN ideas about what it means. Um, for example, my company, Innovest, uh, back formed in the mid-1990s, uh, was a pioneer in ESG research. So it's a general term that applies to um, analyzing companies on their environmental, social, and governance performance. The UN has, um, has adopted various uh, standards related to ESG, such as the Global Compact, Principles for Responsible Investing, the SDGs, they all uh, are re relate to ESG, but ESG is, is not only a UN term, it's a broader term for the, that's used extensively in the now $23 trillion global responsible investing market. It's basically the criteria that are used to rate companies. And one of the problems is, is that there's no agreed definition of what ESG means. So there's a lot of efforts out there to kind of standardize the environmental, social, and governance metrics. Right. So when we now move to we're talking about the SDGs, which is what our strategy is based on, because uh, personally, in our own investment uh, efforts, we believe that SDG, uh, ESGs are um, are not enough uh, to help save us. So we are focusing, we have narrowed it down to the UN SDGs implementation within the planetary boundaries. How do you see that um, occurring? How do you see that progressing? Well, first of all, it's, it's a huge success for sustainability. I think it's very intelligent with what your company is doing and others are doing. The, the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, are broadly uh, adopted by companies and governments. Almost every country in the world has, has signed on to them. So the, the fact that global human society has agreed to these goals is a huge step forward. Um, in terms of how to achieve the goals, that's a big question. And there's a lot of companies right now that are very, like Unilever and others, that are very aggressively trying to integrate SDG achievement into their corporate strategies. And I think all that work is fantastic and probably should be greatly expanded. My suggestion is that there is another level of work uh, parallel to all the good work that's being done that's needed to achieve the SDGs. And that has to do with system change. And the basic idea is that the SDGs are basically focusing on symptoms, the environmental, social, and economic problems addressed by the SDGs are symptoms of our flawed systems. In other words, our economic and political systems unintentionally put business in conflict with society and humanity in conflict with nature. These systems force companies to cause environmental, social, and economic problems, and the SDGs are trying to resolve those problems. So the, 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 the new work that's needed is, in addition to focusing on the symptom or changing companies, we have to focus on the root cause 
which is the overarching economic and political systems that create the need for the goals in the first place. And corporations and investors are in a very good position to help change those overarching systems. That's what system change investing is all about. I couldn't agree more. So how do you suggest us going about um, the change? Because well, as, as money owners, obviously, um, and even as money managers, you are bound to what you call the overarching political and regu regulatory system. So you can't really, you are punished. You're threatened to go to prison if you go against those regulatory systems. So how can we... And let me back up a little bit. So in our case, we are, we have joined forces in organizations such as Tonic, for instance, uh, that was started by Lisa and Charlie Kleister, uh, where uh, we are working together on bypassing regulatory systems because we have uh, autonomy over, over our own funds and show, pave the way toward how it can be done. However, there is a big, big issue. Um, no matter how wealthy you are as an individual, you cannot, it's not enough the, uh, to aggregate the capital of uh, individuals to change the system. You need to bring in money managers, that's when shift and change will occur. But they are bound to those regulations. So how do you suggest bypassing or transforming the systems? Well, it's, it's a great question. And, um, one, you know, there have been people who have been talking about system change, like Donnell Abandos back in the 1970s. We've been focusing on it for over 40 years. But th in some ways, things are getting worse Probably the main reason for that is the complexity of trying to change overarching economic and political systems. So there's a few points with that. Stepping back and looking at the big picture, it becomes clear that all human systems throughout history that violated the laws of nature uh, and reality collapsed, changed usually by collapsing because it was too difficult for people to voluntarily change them. Our systems right now are causing massive environmental, social, and economic problems We know absolutely that they're going to change, and we're not talking about the long term. Things are accelerating, and many people already understand this. So it's helpful to understand that not keeping systems the same is not an option. They're going to change one way or the other, and companies are better off taking a seat at the table and trying to manage the process in a non-destructive manner that protects their shareholders and other stakeholders. So the, and also we don't need to understand how to do system change completely up front. Nobody knows the answer to that. Um, in the same way, 20 years ago, when responsible investing started compelling companies to engage in sustainability, we didn't know what the perfect corporate sustainability strategy was. We just began anyway. And over time, we got better at it. Now, the way to engage companies in system change is just in the same way that we engage them in, in sustainability, and that is to provide a strong business case. So if we go out to companies and investors and explain to them why flawed systems are creating growing problems for them and how they could benefit from working with others to change those systems, then we can engage the corporate and financial sectors in system change. It's probably the most powerful short-term uh, system change leverage point Because these sectors already strongly influence government, media, the economy, and broader society. Many times, as you said, they block change because they're profiting from current systems. 
but these systems are also creating growing problems. And the smart companies are the ones that understand that if they get ahead of this and work proactively to change the systems that they can protect their success as a company while also doing a much better job of taking care of stakeholders. So in terms of how to rate companies on system change and what the metrics are, when I was at Innovesta back in, uh, you know, when I realized back in 2003 that um, that system change was the, was the major issue, I was in a position as the head of research for the largest company in the world, rating companies on sustainability, to define what leading corporate sustainability performance was. Basically, that was my job. I, I, that was the first step in rating companies. You define the leading strategies and then you rate them on it. So I was in a good position to say that we need to broaden the definition of corporate responsibility from just lowering your own impacts unilaterally to working with others and changing the systems that are forcing you to create the negative impacts in the first place. And so we, the, so I, I developed a, new, a model for rating companies on corporate system change performance called total corporate responsibility. And there were three, as, three categories in the model, traditional ESG metrics, uh, mid-level system change, which is change at the sector level, and then high-level system change, which is changing economic, overarching economic and political systems. So the metrics in there looked at a number of different things, like what are the companies saying about system change? Are they working collaboratively with business, government, and civil society to change systems? Are they addressing specific uh, system flaws, like time value of money or externalities? Are they... Um, uh, are they, you know, working with media to raise awareness about system change? Are they supporting other groups that are uh, that are working for system change? And how are they interacting with government? In other words, are they using campaign finance and lobbying to maintain current systems, or are they using those to try and change systems? Those are some of the metrics in the model. Okay, so um, let's say you're talking to one of our investors, you know, let's say early stage. I mean, as you know, 80 to 60, 60 to 80% of the GDP in every country is basically driven by the small and medium enterprises. So as an investor in such a, um, such organizations, and you know, that, that is actually major, even if it's not counted that way, how would you guide an investor to use your system uh, mm. in, in a context of, of, an, of a startup company? Well, it's really the there are lots of new investing approaches coming out. Some of them are more complicated and involve, you know, even new forms of money or very specific types of investments in certain technologies or industries. The system change investing approach is um, much broader based and it's very much like ESG. So ESG rates all companies, whatever size, whatever sector. And then those things can be used as indicators of superior management that's going to outperform. And you can develop all different types of funds with those ESG ratings, uh, value, growth, index, everything. It's the same is true with system change investing. We can rate all companies, small, medium, and large, on their system change efforts. And then those ratings can be used just like ESG ratings to develop all different types of uh uh, responsible investing products. And so that way, you know, it makes it very easy for investors to engage. It, it, it allows a much larger percentage of assets under management to be engaged in, 
in driving system change. I mean, it's SRI, or Responsible Investing, is a proven model. It's been around for 20 years. It's been, when the, when the owners of companies get interested in sustainability, it compelled nearly every large company to implement sustainability strategies. The same can happen with system change. If investors start paying attention to system change and asking the companies that they own about it, companies are gonna do what their owners tell them to do, then they're gonna get involved in system change. When I was at, at Innovest, many companies would, would come to us and say, how do we get higher ratings? CalPERS and other pension funds are paying attention to this now and we wanna get their investment. And we'd say to them, here's our model. Here's, here's what we're looking at. Do these things and you'll get higher ratings. The same is true with system change. When uh, companies come to the raters and say, how do we get higher system change ratings? We say, here's our list of metrics. This is what we're looking at. Do these things you'll get, and you'll get higher ratings. So basically, the, the rating model becomes a system change roadmap for companies and investors. For those that are um, on some stock exchanges or a published company, what about, about small companies that are not rated, that are not being officially measured by any stock exchanges? What do they do? Well, it's possible to rate to to rate uh, all companies, including ones that aren't listed and and smaller companies. I I would imagine that 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 probably wouldn't be the first step. The first step with system change investing would probably be to rate the large cap listed companies, um, the the various uh, you know in, uh, investable universes around the world. But you could then move down to uh, rating the smaller companies. One approach that's being used successfully with that is, is AI. Um, there are a, number, a growing number of companies that are using AI to rate all companies, and they've got you know un, rated universes of up to 9,000 companies, including many smaller companies. So there are, there are ways to do it. I, I don't think that that would probably be the, the, the first focus of system change rating. Probably would be the larger cap companies, I would suspect. Yeah, well... Uh, yeah, I, I know that purely driven by the numbers uh, and the revenue, I think it's, it's we need to both, to work on both ends for sure, <laughs> the top yes. and at the bottom. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. agree more. I mean, this is what we do as investors in, in early stage. You know, we use those measurement criteria from the very moment so that they know how they will be measured. Uh, beyond the financial thing and you know they like it the beauty about this is all of a sudden uh, the entrepreneurs they want us to come in as an investor because they feel seen uh, and they don't have to to lie <laughs> as in the past is a generalization you know vcs used to lie to their lps promising the moon uh, which they couldn't deliver and then the entrepreneurs would lie to the venture capitalist promising the j curve uh, which very often they couldn't keep so now all of a sudden you say well what is the the driving force you know and beyond financial force company has to be financially sustainable otherwise it's not sustainable but uh, they feel seen as human beings as people who have a mission and uh, because money alone can only go so far in terms of driving yourself out of bed in the mm -hmm. morning so well, I, yeah i've studied your approaches I, th I think it's fantastic and i it's pretty clear why you've been so successful with it the Looking at companies, um, their levels of consciousness, their values, that's all 
I, I can totally understand how that how that would be a good indicator of uh, sophisticated management and superior stock market performance. I, I, I would suggest that in addition to that, you could also look not only for to evaluate management quality and in consciousness, but look at evidence that that's in place in terms of how are they dealing with stakeholders. And the new category of evidence would be how are they working with others to change systems at the sector level and overarching system levels? You can ask those questions of all companies. But we do, Frank. Yeah. We do. Oh, There's excellent. a step two in our five-step model. That's, that, that's exactly what we're doing, uh, you know, beyond that goes beyond the financial due diligence. We go into step two, and this is uh, ESG and uh, UNSDG and other whatever measurement criteria are. Yeah, we do that. Uh, it's yeah. just that um, you can do that if you don't. You can go into the SDGs and ESG and other criteria if you do not include in your approach the interior aspects, which are mm-hmm. the individual interiors. That's why we started this conversation with the hero's journey and the interiors of the team. Then you mm-hmm. lose 80% of the impact because, you know, the risk um of uh, the success of a company at an early stage uh, mm-hmm. and of course listed companies it doesn't really matter 80 percent of the risk lies with the team and with the individuals mm-hmm. I, I, com- I can completely see that when we were at Innovest um, people would often ask why our ratings were so successful at identifying stock market outperformance and the number one reason is the proxy value for management quality companies that were doing well on sustainability were doing well in other parts of the business. They were smart companies, visionary, good at dealing with uncertainty. And I imagine you're you're capturing the same kinds of things by looking at the consciousness and the, you know, the interior landscape of, of the company's management. I well, think we're just a- yeah, we're just using the tools from Stanford, Harvard, and MIT. You know that in, you know have been developed over decades. You know in psychology. <laughs> so it's just not part of the traditional financial and business world, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, 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 new, the, the, the new work that isn't being done in the traditional ESG area is to look at how companies are partnering with others to, with the specific goal of trying to make systemic changes at the sector level. There are a growing number of companies that are doing that, like the Sustainable Food Lab with Unilever, Walmart's the Sustainable Value Networks. There's a lot of collaboration going on in the supply chain and at the sector level where it's not occurring uh, and, and where I think the most important place for it to occur is at the economic and political system level. We need to create ve- collaborative vehicles so that companies can join others and work to change economic and political systems in ways that makes it more profitable for them to act responsibly. Now companies maximize profitability by causing, often by causing negative environmental and social impacts. That's a system problem, not a company problem. We can change our systems in a way where companies maximize profits by causing no negative impacts. That's what sustainable systems would look like. And, you know, the, the work now is how do we in, engage all of humanity, not just the companies and investors, in evolving our systems into sustainable forms that stop putting humanity in conflict with nature and business in conflict with society. Yes. And that starts, of course, with every single individual, individually, because mm-hmm. if you talk to, if you look at the people, you know, the young people are going, taking to the streets, Fridays for Future, because they see that, uh, you know, in their heart, 
you know, they see themselves not being represented in those systems that um, are out there. So um, we need to come too close, and you know, we requested 30 minutes of your time, and we're way over. So um, what are the common mistakes that investors, business people, entrepreneurs, and also regulators make? And how can we address them? Um, the, the, the common mistakes, well, for, that investors make? Yeah, or, yeah. I mean, we're talking about, you know, two, you are, the podcast is being listened by, uh, to by investors and business company builders, entrepreneurs. Um, sometimes there are also regulators. But what are the common mistakes that, um, in your view, such, you know, our audience makes that well, think, could be prevented? I, I think that the uh, a main mistake that, that's much smaller than it used to be is to think that um, ESG investing or sustainable investing will produce lower returns. That simply is not true. Environmental and social issues are financially relevant to companies. Therefore, taking them into account will increase investment returns. So the, the, the global uh, responsible investing market, as you pointed out, is over $23 trillion. It's one quarter of all assets under management, 57% in Europe. So the market is growing rapidly. People understand that you can make more money through ESG investing. So I, rather than mistakes, I think investors are making a lot of good decisions by putting their money into ESG funds. My, my suggestion is that um, as we begin to bring out funds that are focused on system change, that investors put their money there because it can provide greater sustainability benefits than any other type of product because it's focusing on root causes instead of symptoms. And also, if we do it correctly, these funds can provide superior financial returns because system change is going to be a strong indicator of management quality, just like sustainability performance is. So companies that are leaders in system change are going to be doing many things well, and that's why they'll outperform peers, I would say. Can you give some concrete numbers as to, you said uh, that, uh, and I agree with you, by the way. Uh, so you're, you're trying to address the, the misbelief, the disbelief that uh, people focusing on sustainability and ESG are lowering their returns. Do you have some concrete no. numbers? No. Th can... Yeah, well, the, the, there's, there have been some studies that have showed that SRI funds outperform, but more and more now you've got Goldman Sachs and other um, mainstream investors coming out with their research showing that this out, outperforms. When I was at Innovest, um, we rated about 50 different sectors and in all high impact sectors and almost every other sector, if you took the list of ranked companies, cut it in half, the top half would outperform the bottom half by 300 to 3000 basis points per year over almost any time period. The, the one key question with uh, responsible investing is, are environmental and social issues financially relevant to companies? If the answer is yes, and you ignore those issues, you're violating the fiduciary obligation to maximize returns. You're lowering your return potential. Now, just like other funds, when SRI funds underperform, it's not because they're taking non-financial issues into account. As with other underperforming funds, the cause is, poor management, poor fund construction, poor models. I mean, if, if an SRI fund is underperforming, it's not because environmental and social issues are lowering performance. It's because they're not being addressed effectively. Right. So can you give people some um, URL and some websites where they can go and download those numbers? Because this is one of the biggest uh, 
how should I say, points of resistance as to why people, and particularly in more conservative countries like Germany, uh, are bringing up in terms of uh, reasons as to why they're not moving in this direction. No, it's the, uh, uh, again, well, I will give you the uh, URL, but I'll, I'll come back to the, 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 the one single question, the core question is, are these issues financially relevant? Yes or no? They're, they obviously are to a growing degree. How you treat your customers? Do you make safe products? Um, how, what are your relations with your other stakeholders? I mean, the list goes on and on of, of the ways that the environmental and social issues are financially relevant to companies. Therefore, you have to take them into account to maximize returns. And it, it, it's to say that ignoring financially relevant issues will increase returns is simply not logical. In terms of, um, I just coincidentally published, uh, posted to my website a paper that I uh, that was published by Oxford University Press all the way back in 2000 that showed extensive research showing how uh, environmental leaders outperform. People could find that in the archive article section of my website, globalsystemchange.com. Um, and there's, many, there's, if you just put it into Google, there's a ton of research out there showing how SR, SRI out, outperforms. Again, yes, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I just wanted to, to have, uh, have, have you say that. So okay. I, uh, yeah, you're, uh, don't need to convince me. I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this conversation. So, um, so coming to the to the end of our podcast, um, what are three specific and most treasured pieces of advice that you would like to give to our audience? Um, well, I, I would say if you're not investing in uh, in sustainability, sustainable investments, do it. Um, you'll you'll be helping the planet, and you know there's a lot of funds out there that have a great track record of of making more money. So you'll make more money, and you'll make the world a better place. So definitely do that. Um, when the option for system change investing becomes available, probably later this year, uh, I would suggest that that's another good option. It'll provide uh, strong sustainability benefits by focusing on root causes and systemic changes. Um, and I guess the third piece of advice, you know, just in general, follow your bliss, like Joseph Campbell said, that's what led me into this field. So. We all have unique things that, that drive us. Find out what the, those are and build your life around them and for, to have the best life. Uh, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, so um, last question. Where can people go and learn more about your work? My website, globalsystemchange.com. I've published some books on system change, and there's a lot of articles there about system change investing and other types of uh, system change, for example, I've got articles about political reform and other aspects of system change there. What about Twitter? Do you have a Twitter feed? Uh, no, I'm not on Twitter. I'm I'm old school. I know that needs to change. I'm not very <laughs> good at social media. <laughs> I've been meaning to get on there. I'll have to do that soon. Oh no! Oh no! Actually, I am on Twitter. I just never use it. I forgot. That. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's global system change. I know I'm not good. At, I have to do a better job with social media. Yeah, well, that's, that's okay. Yeah. But that's how a way to get the word out. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> well, wonderful, Frank. It's been a, an honor and a privilege and great fun to speak with you today. Uh, keep doing what you're doing and we'll see you around. 
Well, thanks very much, Mariana. The, the privilege and honor has been all mine. It's been great speaking with you. I know the good work that you're doing, so thank you for very much for having me on your podcast. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. For more info on Frank Dixon, visit globalsystemchange.com. For more on Dr. Bosazan and the investment turnaround, visit investment-turnaround.com.